Section 29 of The Wounded Name by D.K. Broster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Eileen. Chapter 9, Part 4. 6. All the way back to a max lodging, those words were vibrating through Laurent's whole being. Not a shred of real evidence to show that he did not deliberately sacrifice his men to save his cousin. Yet when they got into the little room, and de Fresne, who had accompanied them, revealed the depth of his gloom and of his irritation, Laurent, from pure antagonism, began to tear up. "'I told you so,' lamented the poor gentleman. "'I told you so from the beginning, La Rochetterie, that it was a mistake to court inquiry now.' and after failing to produce your two chief witnesses, still more so. And what is going to happen tomorrow? We have no more evidence. The thing will become a farce. How oh, I will tell you what will happen tomorrow, monsieur, remarked Laurent rather maliciously. You will go on giving your testimony, perhaps for hours, with that fat old fellow asking question after question about those three days in the Bois de Fauvettes, which intrigue him so, the three days of creation. Amar, who looked like a ghost, smiled in spite of himself. That event occupied six, you will remember, Laurent. And the unfortunate de Fresne said tartly that, with such a prospect in front of him, he would betake himself to his inn and go to bed early. As he closed the door behind his lieutenant, Amar shook his head at the tormentor. You are really rather unkind, Laurent. And, as Laurent made a grimace intended to show at once a sense of self-justification and a measure of penitence, he went on gravely. And, you know, mon ami, de Fresne is quite justified in his view. I have not really any chance, now, of being cleared, that is. Indeed, I was very strongly tempted to tell the general, at the close of today's proceedings, that it was hardly worth while wasting the time of the court any more. But then it came to me that perhaps it was cowardly, and perhaps it was rash. And I've had enough of being both. Of the first you have never been, retorted Laurent. Moreover, I feel that the luck will turn, yet. Remember that you have the Chartier back. Now, you're tired to death. Lie down on this horrible sofa and try to rest a little. No, you do not need to go through those notes any more. That is true, agreed Aymar as he obeyed him. And there's nothing more to say now. And as Laurent spread a covering over him, he added, with a smile, But I did not mean you to come here to begin Act Belle over again. What did you mean me to come for, then, since you will not let me give evidence, now that I'm here? Aymar made no reply in words. He merely pressed his hand. And a few minutes later, Sheer fatigue overriding the nervous tension, he was sleeping like a child. But in spite of his own brave words, Laurent's heart ached as he sat beside him and thought of the morrow. And today? In some ways, Aymar had got through better than he probably looked for. In the matter of keeping out Madame de Villecresne's name, for instance. On the other hand, they neither of them anticipated that the court would want to burrow so deeply into that intensely painful episode of the shooting. 
what would be the outcome of the whole business? What, indeed, would an impartial observer have said was the real outcome of today's proceedings? But in Madame Leblanc's little sitting room, no such person existed, and there was only one very anxious young man watching another. More than half an hour had passed thus when there came a knock at the door, and Laurent, tiptoeing over, was presented by Madame Leblanc with a large visiting card and the information that there was a gentleman downstairs asking to see Monsieur de la Gauchetterie. Laurent gave an exclamation. What is it? asked Aimard, rousing. You would never guess, cried Laurent, in high glee. Our dear Père Perelet had come, I'm sure, to make amends, and though dropped from heaven knows where, and on your track heaven knows how. Oh, you'll see him, Aimard, of course. And, pelting down the narrow stairs, he almost fell into the arms of Monsieur le Docteur, Je M. P. Perelet, in all his Sunday clothes at the bottom. Indeed, Monsieur le Docteur soundly embraced him. Oh, my dear boy, how is he after this morning? I was there, or you didn't see me. Oh, I managed to get in. I, as a military doctor. I heard of this by chance at Arbel two days ago, so I knew that I should find him here. And now I've listened to it all. Oh, mon Dieu, what a story. Oh, what a brute and fool I was. Oh, will he see me? I want to ask his pardon. And do you think he will give it me? Or perhaps he never realized that... Oh, did he not, returned Laurent. But he owes you far too much to refuse it. And in any case, I'll go up and there's the door. And he watched the little doctor mount the stairs, already taking out his pocket handkerchief, heard him open the door and say in husky tones, Oh, my dearest boy, can you ever? And then the door shut. Well, thought the young man, leaning against the foot of the stairs and feeling a kind of pleasant moisture about his own eyelids. Oh, at least I have never claimed not to be a sentimentalist. Oh, how long shall I give them? Monsieur Pigalet stayed to supper, which his presence somehow enlivened into quite a cheerful meal. He was very hopeful, on what grounds could hardly be discovered. I wonder, thought Laurent once more, that he doesn't say, I'm no optimist, and shortly afterwards, to his delight, the old surgeon did remark, well, of course I'm not one to take an unduly rosy view of things. And Laurent himself again besought Aimard to call him as a witness, and when Aimard inquired, as a witness to what, asseverated anew that he should not be contented till Dutremblay knew what he owed him over the cipher business, until they all knew it. My dear Laurent, observed Loiseleur a little dryly, you surely do not expect me to bring it forward as a merit that I did not betray a comrade's plans when it was suggested to me to do so. Of course, he would never have done it voluntarily. But I wonder how many people, in your condition, could to the very last have kept their heads sufficiently not to show so much as assent or dissent when that blackguard narrowed the issue down to a single question, and that vital question of the crossing of the river. And nobody who had not a will of steel pronounced Monsieur Pigalet. Oh, there you are, cried Laurent. There is evidence, indirect, if you like, 
as to intention and character. Oh, I could make it very plain to those gentlemen if I had the chance. Aymar shrugged his shoulders. I'm afraid your desire will not be gratified, mon cher, and I'm afraid that I don't want it gratified so publicly. Oh, it's a great waste, sighed the champion stubbornly. And it is of no good to depreciate testimony of that kind, because you see that it is without a shred of real evidence, as Monsieur de la Boisillac would say, that you have converted, he grinned, a hard-headed, unemotional, scientific man like Monsieur Pigollet from his temporary unbelief. 7. The scientific man in question becoming very high-handed after supper and ordering his ex-patient to bed, Laurent went forth to hunt up a couple of acquaintances whom he had seen as they came back from the Hôtel de Ville. He found them, as he expected, at the Hôtel de Cusson, and, knowing Aymar to be an excellent hand, went in with them and called for wine. In the room he entered, which was full of officers, the inquiry seemed to be the sole topic of conversation, and the only point on which there appeared to be general agreement was that those who had not attended it that afternoon would be there next morning. Some stared at Laurent, recognizing him, and he felt that it was not a bad move to have put in an appearance, just to show that one had a clear conscience. His own friends were fortunately bien pensants, one of them enthusiastically so, and the other said that he thought La Gaucheterie must be innocent, or he would never have had the courage to bring all this upon himself. With them, too, surmises were not wanting as to the cousin and her relations with Loiseleur, but Laurent purposely avoided throwing any light upon the subject. And presently, lo, through the clouds of tobacco smoke, a face appeared for a moment and vanished again. Laurent made one of his swift sallies. Oh, Monsieur Pegalet, come in, come in. Are you looking for me? How charming of you. Come and have a glass of wine with me. I've some friends here. You can tell us the latest news from Arbel. Monsieur Pegalet, chuckling, protesting and pleased, suffered the young man to drag him in and make presentations. Oh, well, yes, perhaps one glass of cognac, he said. I left him in bed, he announced, behind his hand to Laurent. In fact, I gave him a sleeping draught, though he was not aware of it. And there's something I want to ask you, presently. Oh, thank you, monsieur, you're too kind. So there the good doctor sat, smoking a cheroot, and very happy in the consciousness that he was seeing life, in the royalist camp, this time, at least that was how Laurent read his amused and contented and observant expression, and he was probably not far wrong. But half of Laurent himself, though he continued to chat, was gauging with a rather too acute sensitiveness the current of feeling in the room about the one thing which mattered to him. After the tension of the afternoon, the wine he had taken, and though without affecting his head in the ordinary sense, made him conscious of a desire to get up and say something, publicly, on a Mac's behalf. But his better sense warned him against it. However, he ended by engaging in something a great deal more sensational than oratory. For at a table close by had now been sitting for a little while with a friend, the very officer whose behavior had displeased him in the audience at the Hôtel de Ville. 
Logong could not help hearing their conversation. The two amused themselves for some time by half-whispered witticisms about la belle cousine, and though Logong's brow grew darker and darker, his good sense again warned him not to bring this topic into more prominence by taking notice of it. But suddenly he heard, so clearly spoken that others must have heard it, too. How pretty brazen, and to base your main defense on an invented conversation with two men, of whom one is dead and the other cannot be found. And the other man assented, and Laurent, angry as he was, realized what a specious appearance of truth there was in this criticism. And yet went on the voice of his bête noire, in spite of the fact that he has not, as La Boisillac said, a shred of real evidence to bring forward. I'm afraid that he will never get what he deserves now. No, responded the other. It is curious, the impression he seems to have made on some of the court. How cannot you see, and that it is this pose of complete honesty in telling the whole truth that is doing it? It was an idea little short of genius. Of course, one must be a good actor to carry it out. But that is just what the man is. Whatever is the matter, my dear boy, exclaimed Monsieur Pigalet. Oh, the dear boy did move sometimes with such disconcerting suddenness. As for the individual who had so appraised Loiselag's histrionic abilities, he had now in front of him, to his exceeding surprise, a fair young man in the Vendean uniform, who was saying, with a very deadly intensity, You will kindly take back every word of what you've just said, monsieur, and apologize for having said it. What? I'll be damned if I will cried the critic, jumping to his feet. So Logon, exclaiming, Espèce de guiton, knocked him down. Aha, la boxe anglaise, said Monsieur Pegrelet, craning forward like everyone else. But the combat was not destined to proceed on pugilistic lines. Amid terrific clamour, the victim rose to his feet, tugging at his sword, while some threw themselves on him, and Laurent's two friends tried to drag him away. Monsieur de Courtemag himself appeared quite calm, and though he was really tingling with the liveliest wrath. His satisfaction was oh, certainly, Monsieur Perillet heard him say amid the babel. Also instantly, you'll see fair play for me, won't you? Oh, but you can't fight here, several voices assured him, and his friends, too, spoke of next morning. I regret that I'm engaged tomorrow morning, quoth Lohum, and proceeded to remove his sword belt. Lucky I had my sword on this time, he told himself. Engaged? Ah, yes, with a play actor, sneered his opponent, whose lip was already swelling. No, retorted Lohum, throwing back his head and speaking very clearly and deliberately. With my friend, Monsieur le Vicomte de la Rochetterie, un chevalier de Saint-Louis. He who held the moulin brûlé, Loiselag. How bravo! cried several voices to this. And I will either give you satisfaction here and now, or not at all, resumed Laurent. You need have no fear on the score of the medical attendants. I have an excellent surgeon with me. He slightly indicated Monsieur Pigalet. And though he, too, happens to be a friend of Monsieur de la Roche de Guise, I'm sure he will do his best for you. And there were not only cheers, but laughter now. 
The general opinion also was with Laurent on the desirability of settling the affair on the spot, and his foe was too angry to wish to postpone shedding his blood. So the company pushed back the tables with alacrity, and Laurent stripped off his coat and gave it to one of his friends. At that point, Monsieur Pigolet came and caught him by the arm. Laurent, he said in a low voice, agitated and yet pleasurably agitated, and unaware that he had used his Christian name. Oh, Laurent, my dear boy, are you au fait at this sort of thing? And do you mean, inquired Laurent coolly, as he rolled up his shirt sleeve, have I ever fought before? No, I've not. But between foils and singlestick, I know quite enough to settle Monsieur Guiton Cadet. Monsieur Pegolet could not restrain a chuckle of appreciation. But he whispered, How oh, do, pray, be careful. How oh, of him? Oh, yes, up to a point. How all too short are moments of ecstasy. This one only lasted, from the on guard and the loosing of the crossed blades, fifty-six seconds exactly, seconds in which the younger gentleman at the end of one of those blades was blissfully unimaginably happy. He knew that he was no brilliant swordsman, but he knew, too, that he had a steady hand, a quick eye, and a very good balance, and he was fighting for a mag. Yes, it was a pity that this man, ten years his senior and with more experience, no doubt, behind him, was so angry, because otherwise he might have prolonged the bout instead of exposing himself in that crazy fashion. A queer sensation, and that of the point going in. A queer, evidently, for Guiton Cadet also. And there was surprise on his face, as well as pain and fury, as he recoiled, run very creditably through the top of the right shoulder. 8. About a quarter of an hour afterwards, Laurent found himself arm in arm under the stars with Monsieur Perlet, his purpose being to escort that excellent gentleman back to his inn. Prudence had dictated to all in the coffee-room of the Hôtel de Cusson, who were amenable to military discipline, a quiet and speedy dispersal, and Laurent himself had only waited till Monsieur Perlet had finished with his victim. The wound was not dangerous, but it was painful on hearing which its author had expressed the most unchivalrous gratification. And the couple were now in unfeelingly good spirits, as they picked their way in the darkness over gutters. I wish I could scold you, as you deserve to be scolded, mauvais sujet, said Monsieur Perlet, pressing the arm under his. But I am incapable of it, and it was so neat, so clever, even, considering that you can know nothing of anatomy, and your success, your championship of La Gauchetique, had an extraordinary effect. I felt it. How oh, do you really think so? asked Laurent, soaring into a still higher heaven. Oh, I am sure of it. It was almost a pity that none of the, <laughs> that none of the nine muses were there, finished the young man, laughing. Yes, that is my pretty name for the gentlemen of the court of inquiry. But, on the whole, it's a good thing they were not. And by the way, Monsieur Perlet, did you ever get that letter I wrote you? Monsieur Perlet stopped on the brink of a dark streamlet. Oh, I did, my child, and thankful I was to get it, though it made me more than ever distressed and ashamed about that incident at La Boussaine. Oh, but what he said that night was really most damning. Now, I shall not tell you what it was. 
Still, I shall never forgive myself for acting as I did. And how much more trying that shooting business, too, must have been for the poor boy than I realized. Yes, said Legon rather sadly. And the worst of it is that to have gone through all that suffering and shame only leaves him in a more critical position than he was before. You heard this afternoon how it was cast up against him and to what cruel allegations it led. As for tomorrow. Oh, tomorrow will be all right, you will see, announced Monsieur Perillet, resuming his advance. If he can hold out until the end, and that is. He is not really in the least fit for this affair, of course. Ah, this was what I wanted to ask you. Round this corner is my way. What in the name of fortune made those marks on his arm, which he tried, too late, to conceal from me when I was examining him after you left? They are burns, and he says he did them himself by accident, and expects me, a doctor, to believe him. This time it was Laurent who stopped, and under a convenient street lamp. Oh, he said that, did he? Of course he would. Accident, indeed. He made one of his hot, boyish gestures. It was the most deliberate, cold-blooded. He never reached his noun. A gesture was made behind him. A hand fell on his shoulder. I regret to have to demand your sword, monsieur, said an abrupt military voice. You are placed under arrest. Kindly follow me at once. It is hard to know which of the couple was the more thunderstruck. Words were completely smitten from both of them. On the very threshold of his thrilling revelation, Laurent was plucked away, vanishing like a dream from the eyes of Monsieur Perillet, who, a moment later, was left, a stout and bewildered little civilian, in the light of the convenient street lamp, while the footsteps of the patrol and the captured duelist died away round the corner. The thread of events lay thereafter in Monsieur Perillet's hands, after a short period of dismayed reflection, he hurried back to Aymar's lodging. Oh, but that young man lay relaxed in the profound and beneficent slumber of his physician's own procuring, and it would have been a crime to wake him. So, except that the hazard of sleep afforded Monsieur Perillet an uninterrupted view of the branded arm, he gained little by his visit, and hastened off to Monsieur de Fresne, conceiving that there was nothing criminal in waking him with the news. Monsieur de Fresne was hardly of that opinion. By the time his nocturnal caller had introduced himself and explained his errand, he was, and perhaps justifiably, in a thoroughly bad temper. A poor boy indeed! A feather-brained young scamp! Let him cool his heels. It won't hurt him. And I can do nothing. The only possible course is for La Gauchetterie if he can, to get permission in the morning for him to attend the court under open arrest as a witness. How oh, a nice witness for a case where already the testimony is so short of the mark. Monsieur Pigalet shook his head at the irate gentleman sitting up in his bed. Oh, I consider that he acted very properly, monsieur. And as for being feather-brained, let me tell you, in all seriousness, and that but for him there would be no La Rochetterie here today at all. Ha, huh, said Monsieur de Fresne, and laying down, turned over on his other side. Well, I will come and see La Rochetterie about it at half-past six. Oh, good night. A little before that hour, therefore, 
Monsieur Picolet was on foot once more, and having obtained admission, peeped in on his patient. And the russet head moved at once on the pillow. Oh, you're up early, Monsieur Picolet. How have you slept, my dear boy? inquired the doctor, coming in. I've not had a night like this, replied Aymar, for weeks. How oh, it is fortunate, but mysterious. Why, is that de Fresne up early, too? Monsieur Picolet glanced behind him. Monsieur de Fresne wants you to write a letter for him to take to the general, he observed casually. And just a line, to request formally that one of your witnesses may be released from arrest in order to attend the court this morning. One of my witnesses arrested, exclaimed Aymar, raising himself on an elbow. Oh, you don't mean to say that they've arrested Colonel Richard. His coming here was all arranged with the general-in-chief. Oh, no, not Richard, I'm glad to say, replied his lieutenant. But your friend, Monsieur de Courtemag, made the devil of a disturbance in my hotel last night, and he's now in custody. Laurent, Laurent made a disturbance. Oh, I should rather say, and I was present, put in Monsieur Perillet, and that he made an impression, and a very gallant one. But as he also made an incision in a member of the party. Oh, you mean he fought someone? exclaimed a mag, starting up in bed. Oh, and in my quarrel, oh, I can guess it. Oh, my God, he's not hurt. Oh, don't tell me he's hurt, he cried, clutching hold of Monsieur Perillet. No, my dear boy, he's not. He had not a scratch. It is the other who is hors de combat, and he's not seriously damaged, either. But Laurent is laid by the heels. I do not even know where it happened so suddenly. In the street, as we were coming home. De Fresne, meanwhile, had got paper and ink and brought them to the bedside. Oh, why did you not wake me last night? And cried a mag, seizing them. Oh, he's been a whole night, then, under arrest in discomfort and anxiety. 9. Laurent indeed had been in both, to a high degree, in the cell of the disused convent to which he had been conducted. The discomfort, the fact of arrest itself, could have been light payment for his moment exquis, in other circumstances. But in these, his loss of liberty was calamitous. His evidence, that precious evidence, and to the hope of giving which he still clung. His presence itself in the court next morning at the verdict, all hung by a hair. He tried to bribe the sentries. He cast wildly about for means of escape. Till it came to him crushingly, and that even if he did escape, he could not present himself in court without being instantly re-arrested and damaging a mag. It was, therefore, and to a very subdued and unaffervescent young man that it was announced, about eight in the morning, that he could regard himself as under open arrest for the day in order to attend the court of inquiry. He walked out, dazed but thankful, to find Monsieur de Fresnet waiting for him in the street. How oh, I owe this to you, then, monsieur, he exclaimed gratefully. How good of you, how you cannot realize what it means to me. You owe it to Monsieur de la Gaucheterie, responded de Fresne with no grace of manner. He had to be roused from sleep early this morning to request your release. I could not have done anything. Nor, his tone added, 
should I have done anything if I could? Lokung hung his head. Well, continued Defresne, surveying him. If you're going into court, you had better come back with me to my hotel and make yourself a little more presentable. Oh, I can go to my room at Madame Leblanc's, said Laurent meekly. Oh, I suppose I do look rather disreputable, he added, trying to laugh as they turned together along the street. But as they walked, Defresne was sufficiently human and unwise to try to improve the occasion a little further. Oh, I cannot help wondering, Monsieur de Courtemac, he remarked, what benefit you imagined you were doing La Gauchetterie by running the risk of being brought back last night to his lodging on a shutter, as you might so easily have been? Logon was silent. Nor, pursued the elder man, what support you fancied you were giving to his cause by brawling. Obviously it can have done it nothing but harm. Oh, there you are wrong, replied Logon rather shortly. Ask Monsieur Pigalet. I'm astonished that Monsieur Pigalet did not use his influence to prevent the disturbance. Oh, he didn't want to, replied the duelist. He enjoyed it, oh, nearly as much as I did. He sighed reminiscently, almost tenderly. And now, continued his mentor, disregarding this, if you do give evidence on any point, everybody in court will see that you are without your sword. Oh, but so I was yesterday. You did not notice that. No, you were rather occupied yourself. De Fresne glanced sharply at him. They were nearly at the hotel by now. I am older than you, Monsieur de Courtemar, and therefore I permit myself to regret that you did not think more carefully of the consequences of your behavior to other people, and to one person in particular. And there was now a wicked light in Laurent's eyes. Oh, I am so sorry, he exclaimed, with what sounded the most genuine regret in his voice. Oh, you mean that you were waked up over the scandalous escapade of mine? Oh, I'd not realized that. Oh, do, monsieur, receive my most profound apologies. Ha, said the Fresne angrily. And they had stopped at the entry of the hotel, scene of last night's drama. Oh, you know I mean La Gauchetterie, whom you might have spared an added anxiety. But it is so hard, said the young man gently, his eyes on the cobblestones. So hard to know beforehand the consequences of an action, even of an entirely justifiable action like mine. For instance, even you yourself, Monsieur de Fresne, must have felt sometimes that if you had not brought back that letter of yours to the Bois de Fauvettes. He stopped, raised his eyes, and saw from de Fresne's face that he had planted his counter-thrust almost too well. And the elder man turned his back and disappeared without a word into the hotel. Well, he should not have lectured me, thought Laurent rather uncomfortably, as he sped to Madame Leblanc's. And he burst in upon Aymar, who was finishing his breakfast, and crying, A return of the prodigal, who badly needs a wash. Oh, mon cher, I am at least a penitent prodigal. I am, indeed. Oh, but are you really an unhurt one? asked Aymar, springing up and seizing him. Oh, Monsieur Pigalet swears it, but... Oh, but you think that I, too, might have been hiding an injury from him and telling him a cock-and-bull story about it. No, Aymar, he added more seriously. I've not received. Oh, I could wish I had. 
and the poorest equivalent of what you carry for me. On the contrary, I hear that you had to be waked up this morning on my account, a wretch that I am. Who told you that, Laurent? I was already awake, after a night and a thousand. But a little later, when having washed and shaved, and the prodigal was eating, Aimac said in a low voice, How oh, you understand me, when I say I hope it was for me that you fought, Laurent. Not that I wish a hundred times you had not exposed yourself in a quarrel that was not worth it. But it was my quarrel, was it not? I dared not ask Monsieur Perrelet. How entirely and absolutely your quarrel, replied Laurent, looking him in the face and thanking his stars that he had not taken any notice of the remarks about Madame de Villecresne. And mine, he added, finishing his coffee. Aymar had laid his watch on the table. He pointed to it now and got up. No time to start. What is odd to think, isn't it, that when the hour hand gets around to the spot again, it will all be over. Logon fixed his eyes on the watch, suddenly miserable and afraid. How oh, they can't proclaim you guilty, Aymar. They won't proclaim me innocent. It will just be not proven. I do not know whether they will deprive me of my commission, but I shall resign it, of course. Oh, but there is your reputation, and there is the Moulin Brûlé, and all the rest. And nobody is concerned with my reputation of last year, Laurent. Oh, that's just it, cried Laurent angrily. Oh, if only I were defending you. And why is no one defending you, so that he could bring it forward, since you are so damnably proud that you will not do it yourself? All the time yesterday, one could watch points that ought to have been made in your favour, going unheeded, just because to emphasise them involved a little blowing of your own trumpet. And I suppose it will be the same today. Others may think it modesty, and perhaps you think so yourself, but I tell you it is pride, rank, ineradicable pride. You are as proud as Lucifer. After which outburst, almost in tears, he put his head down on his arms on the breakfast table. Aymar stood and looked at him. Oh, I did not know you had such powers of denunciation, Laurent. Oh, it is of no use denouncing you, said the muffled voice. You will not do any differently. He lifted his head. And the only thing that would be of the slightest benefit today would be for me to change and to become, if only I could, Saint Etienne for an hour. How do you think I want you changed, even for poor Saint-Étienne? asked Aymar gently, laying a hand on his shoulder. Oh, I don't want you to be anybody but yourself, Laurent. Oh, come, we must start. You have no need to pretend to forget your sword today, my poor knight-errant. End of section 29